Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. Hey, last month, a Wall Street Journal article um, ran an expose with the title this. Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teenage girls. Company documents show. Maybe you've caught wind of this, right? There's even some hearings going on right now for Facebook on the subject matter. But as I sort of read back through the article, um, it's fascinating. Here, I want to read you a little bit. 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Researchers said in March 2020, this was an internal company slide deck about some research that had been done within Facebook about Instagram. And then another slide, of course, from 2019, read this. We make body issues worse for one in three teen girls. Now, the assumption of many users of Instagram, and I myself have an Instagram account, is that it's a free app, right? With absolutely no strings attached. Which in some measure is true, but somebody is paying for the use of the app. Every swipe, every scroll, every like, every comment comes at a price. And the thing that most users don't realize is that the price, the commodity, is you and your time that someone's paying for. Now, I'm not telling you pastorally that you got to boycott Instagram and we need to like go war against social media and reject the whole thing outright. I'm not telling you that at all. But here's what I am trying to say to you today, church, is that social media and a lot of the things that we experience in our world as in general are not so neutral as we often assume. Meaning we have an assumption when we go to an app like that, that it's just sort of for us in whatever way that we want to use it and that nothing is influencing us as we're using it. But the reality is, is that the world and Instagram as an expression of it has incredible force upon us, right? You carry one of the most powerful and most addictive inventions in all of history in your pocket day by day. How is it shaping you? Because the app and its algorithm has been functioning for many, especially for teen girls, to help them believe certain things about their bodies. And the app and the way that it's producing revenue has shaped the executives of these companies to believe certain things about their product and its necessity in our society. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not this morning, the truth is that you struggle to believe the truth of the gospel. Whether you're a Christian or not, you struggle to believe. And so the key question for us is, are we assuming that as we walk our way through the world and through our weeks, that nothing else is trying to influence our believing? Or as we operate on social media or as we operate in the world at large, that there are actually competing forces attempting to, in many ways, shape what we think, what we believe, and how we act 
Boycott, I'm not calling for. But critical thinking as Christians about what are the habits, what are the practices that we do without thinking, and how do they affect our believing? That's what I'm asking for us today. Because unless we consider the effect of things like social media upon us, unless we see that other things are discipling us to be their followers and to believe their doctrines, then we won't have a chance of believing the gospel deeply, or at least countering and correcting the ways that unbelief in Jesus has settled into our minds and souls. All right? So listen, here's what I want to do. I want to look at this incredible book of Galatians over the next couple weeks. We're not going to study the whole thing, but for these next two lessons in the gospel-centered life, we're going to pull and draw from this great letter to the churches in in Galatia. And we don't get the beginning. We get to jump in right at, oh, foolish Galatians. We're going to jump into the thick of it where the apostle is saying, hey, I want to help you get back to the basics of believing Jesus whom you received. Okay, Because most of us, I believe, operate that the way forward in the faith or perhaps the way to believing the faith in the first place at all is not a matter of believing, but it's usually a matter of modifying our behavior to be a certain way. And so what we as Christians have to do is hear from God's word. And to do that this morning, what I want to do is frame the importance of believing the gospel biblically. And I want to try and state it again creatively. And then we're going to try and press this into our lives such that we could walk away with a habit of believing. All right? You ready to go? All right, let's, let's get this. we got to get through a whole chapter of Galatians, and I think we can do it. Let's do the flyover version so that you get the three key phrases in here that help us see Paul is trying to get us to believe And that the way forward is not necessarily through their behavior change, but through believing more fully the truths of the gospel. Here's the three phrases. Hearing with faith, justification by faith, and adoption through faith. Do you see how he attached all of those to the the idea of belief? Faith? Hearing with faith, justification by faith, and adoption through faith. So, Galatians 3, 1 through 6. O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified, meaning Paul and probably some of his traveling companions showed up and taught Jesus, told this group of people about the death on the cross and the resurrection in the empty tomb. They told them firsthand, face to face, about the gospel. And so they sa- he says, did you then, in that moment when you believed, Did you receive the Holy Spirit by hearing with faith or through works of the law? This is the distinction that he's going to be driving through the rest of the chapter, right? Did you come to faith by working your way towards it? Or did you come to faith by hearing the good news and responding in faith? Having begun with the Spirit, verse 3, are you now being perfected by the flesh, right? Are you growing by asserting your own effort and will, keeping the rules better and better, or are you thinking that the Holy Spirit of God might be the one who actually helps you grow and mature in the faith and get to a kind of completion, as it were, in Christ? Do you suppose that he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you does throw by your works of the law? And of course, he's saying, listen, I want to ask you one question. But then he's so hot. 
He asked some six questions. <laughs> He's like, hey, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Was it by adhering to the law and doing its works, or was it by hearing good news and receiving it into your heart that God showed up and did all this work among you? And then he goes back to cite Father Abraham. And the whole middle section of the chapter is an incredible biblical theology going back into history, unpacking all of Abraham and its significance for the coming centuries of God's people. But we're going to skip that for the moment. No history lesson today because we've got another agenda, okay? Just as Abraham, verse 6, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. How were they saved? Hearing with faith. How will they grow? Keep hearing with faith. But hearing with faith made them justified by faith. Jump down to verse 23. And now before faith, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So this idea of faith in God, cloaked in the way that Abraham responded to the Lord, now is revealed fully. They were held captive under the law. That's a key phrase, under the law imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. Now here, the apostles drawing on the elements of, the Israel, of Israel's story in captivity, enslaved in Egypt, and then fast forward all the way through their story into the New Testament and can grab a common analogy for them in their day about how children were educated. Okay, we'll get there in a sec. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. A guardian, of course, in that day was somebody who was taking care of kids. They were taking care of kids, helping them, supervising them in work and play, to school and back from school, overseeing their conduct and their way and approach in life. And the idea was that there was a guide, a guardian, overseeing children, helping them grow up through the common practices and education systems of their day, up until the point when they needed a guardian no more. And Paul is saying the point came for Israel as a whole people where the guardian of the law, restricting and confining their behavior, was needed no longer because they had grown up to the point where they didn't need a tutor. They knew how to operate. The law, like parental supervision or a caretaker, was leading them upward towards maturity. Okay, so that they might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, right, they are no longer under a guardian. They were under the law and under its restrictions. Now they are under faith. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. Okay, so they've been justified by faith. Their faith is in Jesus. And justification is that fancy Bible word that means right. They have been made right. No longer is the law responsible to sort of keep their moral lines in the ground so that they don't step over the top, but faith itself is the guiding thing that helps them walk in ways that are pleasing to the Lord, and faith has made them right and then set them on a path to live in ways that are right. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, verse 26, 27, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. What's going on here? Baptism is the key analogy. 
Baptism, perhaps you may know, is, is a practice really in many situations that's done with water where one goes underneath the waters and then comes out of the waters. And what, what he's saying here is, before you were under the law, but now by faith you are under Christ. And the way that you became under Christ and his guidance in your life is you were baptized, you went under the waters, died to sin, and you came out of the waters and rose to new life. And baptism as a fascinating practice is negative, right? It's cleansing. There's dirt on us. We've got to get under the waters and it's got to be washed off. There's deadness upon us and it's got to get under the waters and be washed off for life to take shape. But it's also positive. If you think about the way Jesus taught his disciples to then go and baptize others, they were to be baptized into what? Into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? Because baptism is not just a negative ceremony, removing stain and sin. It's a positive ceremony, claiming someone as a part of the family, being named into the new family of Jesus by the last name, as it were, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what's going on here is not that there is no such thing as the institution of slavery anymore in the ancient world. Of course, it's still there. It's not that there is no such thing as different ethnic identities in the ancient world. No, they're still there. It's not that there is no such thing as maleness and females in the ancient world. No, those are still here, right? But those identity markers have settled into the secondary because your place in the new family of Jesus has become primary. An identity shift has happened. You've been made right and you've been brought home. Okay, it gets better. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Remember, we started with Abraham. Right, that Abraham believed God, and that belief counted him, credited him righteousness. We then also, as his children, believe God, and it makes us righteous before God. But not only that, it's not only past debts done away with, wrongs put away, but there's future relationship offered to us. I mean, verse 1 of chapter 4, that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from the slave. Now think past the slavery language here because it's challenging for us as it would have been for them. But what he's getting at here is that in the educational system, in the large family household where there were children that were sons, daughters, and those that were born of servants, both the free and the servant were educated together under the law everyone under the guardian. But when the time comes and the child is old enough, the son is free because the son inherits everything that the family has. What he's saying here is that the law was a guardian and it managed and oversaw us until a date set by the father. And so in the same way, we, when we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay, we'll get there in a minute. That's a funny phrase, elementary principles. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus came under the law so that he might redeem those, right? Rescue them from captivity, those who are under the law, so that we might receive all of us adoption as sons or daughters. What he's getting at here is that the gospel is so good because it's not just that you've been made right, it's that you've been given a relationship as a part of the family. It's not that you have to then work your way by the works of the law in order to gain a righteousness and an identity for yourself. It's not that the enterprise is on you to build. It's that the inheritance is on you to receive. We by faith, cease to build an identity and a righteousness of our own, but instead receive one from our Father. That is the good news of the gospel of grace. And because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son crying into our hearts so that we might cry, Abba, Father. Okay, hold on, we'll get there. But elementary principles... That means the way the world works. Elementary principles are the the way that the world functions. And let me tell you how the world functions. The world functions that if you do something, you get something. The world functions that if you build something, it's yours to stand upon. The world functions, in religious language, by works of the law. Everywhere. There are only two systems of operating in the entirety of the created order. One by works of the law and one by faith. And here's the reality. It doesn't matter if your works of the law are to be more tolerant than others or to be more moral than others. It doesn't matter if your works are to be more merciful to others or more just than others or to be more spiritual than others or more secular than others. Anything you do to build your own righteousness and identity is functioning under the law. It's the elementary principle of how the world works. But the Apostle Paul says this is not how the gospel works. Because the gospel, friends, reveals that we have a tendency to default back into our own establishing of righteousness and identity. And therefore, we subtly start to drift from the gospel and don't function as we continue to believe the gospel. Instead, what we do is we start to shift out of faith and into a mindset of working for our own sense of self and our own righteousness. It's the struggle of every Christian and it's the practice of every human. And the reality here is, friends, that you and I have such a fragile sense of self that it doesn't matter. Like, we will never be secure enough. We will never be powerful enough. We will never be approved of enough. We will never be comfortable enough working on our own merits in order to get a settled sense of self. Both our pride in our successes and our defeat in our failures reveal that anything that we're trying to build from within us won't last. We are made to look outside of us. Outside of us. It's like we're wandering through this world homesick, but we don't know where home is until finally the gospel gets preached with clarity and power such that we start to go, the cry of my heart, it's actually been Abba, Father. We just didn't know the words, but we were made for the family. 
but trying to run it on our own. Believing the gospel is core to the Christian life. Paul is saying to these Christians, yes, get that, they're Christians, that they have not moved on past hearing with faith, being justified by faith, or being adopted through faith. That's their bread and butter. That's not just how they receive the gospel, but it's how they grow in the gospel. So let me state this another way. Perhaps maybe more memorable, although this is memorable for me. The gospel is not just the way you get in. It's the way you go up. The gospel is not just the way in. Friends, it's the way up. We have a few corporate America types in our church. Um, and one of the funny phrases, politically correct phrases that I've heard over the years I'm talking with them, especially around performance appraisal time, is that, you know, the right language is not you're up or out, right? That's, that's, that's bad, right? But, but the correct language is it's either up or elsewhere, right? Up or elsewhere. But and now for our Minnesota niceness, that feels cutthroat, right? We're just like, you can't do that, you know? Like, but of course, if you don't produce and if you don't level up and you don't get promotions, then you're up or you're elsewhere. Now that feels rough to us, but I wonder if that's actually the way that our faith operates every day. Like what if on the daily, not just at performance appraisal time, you are either up or elsewhere, what if you are either believing the gospel and, and gaining an upward sense of connection with the Lord, joy in Christ, holiness in your character, a, a, a deeper satisfaction in all that God has done? What if you are either going up or you've gone elsewhere? Drifting to other things for comfort and approval and satisfaction than what the Lord graciously has provided to you. What if it's up or elsewhere for us all the time? And as I reflected on that, and even just some of my own experience of pastoring you all over the last few years, here's what I've realized, that when it comes to the whole idea of up or elsewhere, or just the bare fact of growing in the Christian faith, there are a few sort of sly untruths that we've started to adopt. Here we are. We default back into the, the Galatians elementary principles of the world. But here's how it happens. One, we think that the way to go up is with me. Salvation's with God. Sanctification's with me. The way to go up is if I work with my power, my strength, my ingenuity so that I can get farther ahead. Salvation with God, growth with me. Number two, we just think that there's no up sometimes I'm talking with people and it's like, there is no up in the Christian life. It's all grace and love and mercy. And that means like every time that I mistake and every time that I butt up against one of my character flaws, there's just another wave of gospel grace. And I don't need to change one bit. It doesn't matter who I am and how I live or what I do because there's grace waiting for me. No, here's the problem with that. There actually is an up in the Christian faith, not in terms of a righteousness and a standing, but there's more for us. There's more for us. And if we think grace serves to make us complacent, then we've missed the point. 
especially missing the Apostle Paul's point because the way in is also the way up. The gospel is not just the starting point, but it's the whole path. It's not just the ABCs. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in other places. In Colossians 2, he says, hey, listen, as you receive Jesus, walk in him. Be rooted and built up and established in the faith as you received him. How'd you receive him? I trusted in the goodness of what he's done and who he is. What about Philippians, right? Paul says, I want to be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes from Jesus, that depends on Jesus. And you know what? I don't even want to just be right. I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, right? I want to press on. I want to forget what's past, and I want to strain forward towards what's ahead for the goal, for the prize of what? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, don't buy the lie that there's no up in the Christian life because of grace. No, grace is what helps you up. It's what helps you move forward. It's what helps you grow the way in is also the way up. But here's the problem. From the beginning days of our great human race, we've struggled with this. Remember that old story with the first man and woman in the garden that ate the forbidden fruit? Now, of course, we look at that and we're like, for real? Like a little infraction, they took a bite of the apple, right? And all of this mess came upon us. Like, how is it that religion is so much about breaking the rules and keeping the rules? Think again. The yes, there were rules there. But the primary consequence is the fracturing of a relationship. It, this, is, this is a trust issue. God has told them, I want your good. I've given you all these things. I love you. I've made you. I've set you up in this place. And then that sly snake comes along and says, hey, he's holding out on you. Why don't you go the other way? And Adam and Eve trust. They believe the snake rather than the Lord. And so it is with us. That believing is actually at root of all of our acting. All of our little infractions in life. Believing the gospel is what actually keeps us in line by faith with God and his purposes in our life. And the crazy thing is, like, we say, we say some, and we're going to say more as we go forward as a church, that we value relationships, Right? That's one of our core values because I believe that the quality of your relationships determine the quality of your life. Right? The quality of your life is directly tied to how quality your relationships are. And if you look back to that scene, you're like, man, those are some quality relationships there in the garden. Like, I don't know about what your gospel community, our small group was like, but it wasn't like that one there. It wasn't like, hey, how was your week, God? Well, you know what? The last one was kind of busy for me. I built a lot of things. Adam and Eve's like, hey, how was your week? Well, you know what? We figured out how to plant some stuff. It was kind of good. It was, it's not like that, you know? Like, our, our gospel community is so full of sin and mistrust and distrust. So full of hiding and resisting. Theirs was so free and full to explore the world that God had made. 
It was a beautiful set of relationships. And if your life is going to have a quality factor to it, it's going to be because you have a quality relationship with the Lord. One that's marked by trust, fueled by a continual and a constant re-believing the gospel. Yes, do your own spiritual disciplines and activities matter? Yes, does your own like emotional life and reactivity or regulation matter? Yes, right? Is there some truth that like we need to think well and learn theology and biblical truth? Yes, but all of those things, what do they help you do? Hear with faith, live from justification by faith, and live out of adoption through faith. We need the habit of believing the gospel. So let's think for a few minutes about how we build that. How do you develop a habit of believing? I mean, what we want is not just a kind of faith that's occasional or accidental, um, but we want one that's regular, one that believes deeply the gospel is not just the way in, but the way up. Recently, I started working out again a couple weeks ago. Um, I've done this plenty of times where I've kind of fallen off the horse, you know, and uh, I need to get back and I'm feeling it in my body. I'm feeling it in my mind and my psyche. Like I just, I need to start exercising. And um, so I started. And, and what do we know about that, right? Like it, for, if we're improving anything, if we're growing in anything, it takes some kind of habit or regular practice in our lives. I mean, like you want to get stronger, actively work out. You want to get smarter, right? Start to read and study on a particular topic. You want to get skillful? Like grab a mentor or some podcast to help you learn and digest some new insights, right? You want to grow in a relationship? Well, put some time on the calendar. Actually spend with that person, right? We know this. We operate like this in every area of life. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we don't. But what I realized as I was starting to work out again is that I needed a habit. And so I got up early one morning and I've got like, you know, nothing fancy, but just like little dumbbells downstairs and one of those exercise balls that I don't know quite how to use yet. But, um, and, I, and I realized as I, I flipped out my phone, right, to get my exercise app, which I'm not going to do anymore, Instagram. Um, but like, no, I, 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 I flipped out my app and like it has these exercises on there preset with weights. And I looked at it and I was like, in the past, I would have been like, that's not enough, right? We got to start big. We got to go big. Like, we got to do this right. This time, maybe I'm just older. Maybe I'm grayer. Maybe I'm wiser. But I was like, I, I don't know about that. Like, I, I think I actually better start at lower weights than is listed on the app for my own body type. And, and, and I realized in there, like, sometimes when we try to start a habit, like, we just want to go big to prove we could do it. What would it mean for you, like I had to this week, to lower the weights? Because it's not the amount that you're lifting that matters, but it's the habit of lifting that matters. Sometimes when you're like, man, I'm going to get it. I'm going to start praying. Like, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to start doing this and that. And you're like, let's go. How would you lower the weights? such that you might walk more closely with the Lord, more faithfully with the Lord. I'm convinced that God is not demanding you to take leaps of faith. He's not asking that. But I am sure that he's inviting you to take steps, step by step, day by day, 
practice by practice. So let me give you a few exercises that might help us develop a habit of faith. Here they are. I think the way that you develop a habit of faith is that you believe the gospel is the way up. And you're believing, number one, the gospel is the way up when you commit your hope. When you commit your hope. Okay, so we've been looking the last few weeks in this book, and if you're not familiar with it, I should have fancy diagrams, but I don't, um, so I'll use my arms. Um, It has a simple illustration where what it means to be growing in the faith is that you have a growing awareness of your own sinfulness, like the bottom arrow of a crescendo. And then it also is helpful when you have a growing awareness, the top arrow, of God's holiness and greatness. And somehow with greater awareness, not greater sinfulness, but awareness of my sin, and greater awareness, not that God's changed, but greater awareness, there is this widening gap for the work of Jesus on the cross at the center to grow larger and larger such that your heart and love for him grows greater and greater. But here's the deal. We could talk about all those things and spend conversations and analyze without ever actually saying, my hope's on the cross. And I think that's actually one of the errors in the way the diagram is is drawn. Because the error points conversion, the first moment of faith, at the vertice of the crescendo. But that's not where it happens. That's the point of despair, if you're honest. That's the point where you go, shoot, man, I'm I'm worse than I thought I was, and I'm never going to measure up. Like that's, That's honesty about your own moral condition is when it breaks open. But you know what conversion is? When you see in light of your own condition, oh my goodness, look at that cross. I'm going to place my hope there. I'm going to go to the foot of that cross where my, my Savior hung. When you commit your hope to the cross and say, I'm trusting there, that's when you're believing the gospel. Not just when you're talking about it. Not just when you're theorizing about it. Not just when you're growing in awareness and growing in awareness, though those things are essential, but it's not, it's not the change in awareness that produces change in you. It's the change in affection where your heart goes, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You be, you're believing the gospel is the way up when you commit your hope to Jesus. And you know what? You're believing the gospel is the way up when you recommit it as well. And there's probably someone here today who needs to commit my hope to the Lord for the first time. There's probably many of us here who need to commit it again and again that I'm only going to be satisfied in him. You're believing the gospel is the way up when you change what you worship. When you change what you worship. Right? Here's an individual exercise that you can do to develop a habit of faith. You can realize that behind all of your trusting is actually a statement about what you find worthy. Right? When I place trust here, I'm saying this, this is reliable, this is worthy, this is weighty. And so to say, hey, I've, I've gone into a spot where I, I don't trust the Lord here. In order to believe the gospel again is to say, hey, I'm going to find greater weight, greater worship of the Lord here again. That there is something about God that's compelling me to praise, right? That is when you are believing the gospel afresh. When all of a sudden you go, man, what have I been doing? Now I see again the goodness of the Lord. 
What have I been doing? I've forgotten. And now, as Rob said, I see the mercy of the Lord again. Man, what am I doing thinking I know the best ways? And I I see the wisdom of the Lord, whether it's the strength, whether it's the wisdom, whether it's the kindness, whether it's the compassion, whether it's the greatness, whatever it is of God that turns your heart back to trust and elicits praise, that reestablishes your faith. That helps you believe the gospel afresh when you change what you worship. When you say, listen, Jesus, I worship you. When you start praying prayers like, Jesus, I worship you. Right? Like, I, I, I love you more than this. You're more satisfying than that. Like, you're, you're more loving to me than, than they are. Like, you're more beautiful to me than this. Like, when you start praying prayers about the superiority of Jesus in contrast to the other things that you put your trust in, you've shifted to worship. And all of a sudden, you've operated out of belief in the gospel again. All right, lastly, not just when you change Um, when you commit your hope, but not when you change your worship. But you believe the gospel is not just the way in, but the way up when you start to encourage the faith in others. We had a couple individual applications. Let's talk about a communal habit. Like when you encourage the faith in others. When you have a conversation with a Christian brother or sister, are you on the lookout, or maybe when you're in your gospel community, are you on the lookout for ways you could inspire or invite others to believe? Like, do you have eyes to see? I think they're doubting God there. Oh, there's distrust there. There's resistance in their soul there. In the course of your conversation, in your honest dialogue, like, is there an eye that you have and an ear that you have to see through the lens of faith so that you might encourage others toward faith. So we say, hey, like, I think there's in you a resistance to the goodness of God. Like, could I encourage you with, with this word that the Lord is good, that all his ways are trustworthy and true, that he knows exactly what you need and he loves you more than you could possibly imagine? And the cross is the proof. Right? Like, could, could, you, could you take the doubt the unbelief, the subtle lies that you pick up on in others and begin to start asking questions like, hey, is there an area of your life where you're just wrestling with the Lord, struggling to trust him? Can I encourage you with this truth? Can I inspire you with a faith that the Lord is wise beyond all of our searching out? Can I help you set your hope that the Lord is compassionate? He sees you, loves you. You don't have to measure up for him. Can I remind you, right, that the Lord is omniscient, that he knows you. You feel alone, but he sees you. He's promised to always be with you. Can we begin to ask questions and can we begin to speak words that inspire faith in others so that by our conversations and by our life as a community, we might actually encourage one another to believe and develop the habit of faith. So, if we are going to be a church that's believing the gospel, we do need to commit our hope. We need to change our worship. And we also need to inspire faith in others. Let's pray toward those things happening this week. Father, we praise you.
We praise you that you, at the fullness of time, sent your son into the world so that if we receive him by faith, our hearts might cry and echo the spirit saying that you are our Abba Father. God, would you remind us that you give new life. You don't leave us to build it on our own. That the gospel is the way in and also the way up because we don't need to, you don't just give us a clean slate and then offer us to rewrite our story all alone. You don't forgive our sins and then say, hey, figure it out from here. But the gospel is the power for salvation and sanctification, the way in and the way to grow. And so would you help us see the goodness of the good news of your life, death, and resurrection? Help us to see again how it saves sinners like me. And it sanctifies saints like me. Would you help us to grab hold of the the key message pod in Christ Jesus toward deeper, more satisfying, more holy, more godly experience of you? We might walk closely day by day with you. Thank you that in Christ you've called us sons and daughters. May we live from that identity and may we live life by faith wherever we are and whatever we're doing until we meet you face to face. Amen.